Welcome to Revealing Men, conversations that pull back the curtain, revealing the inner lives of men. I'm Randy Flood, psychotherapist and director of the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan. I'd like to welcome Mark DeVries to the Revealing Men podcast. Mark is a clinical psychologist who has reflected, read, written, and taught on the topic of eco psychology since 2000. Once upon a time, Mark and I were colleagues, and mm-hmm. since then we remain friends and do crazy bike rides together across yes, we the do. country. Yes, we do. We yeah. got another one coming up here yeah. in June, right? Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mark is married to Lisa, and they have two lovely daughters, and I just want to say thanks for coming, Mark. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here, and I want to uh, take a minute to commend and honor you for the, the work you've done with men over the decades. Um, it's a privilege to be here, so yeah. thank you. Thank, thanks, Mark. You've been influential in helping me think about those ideas and develop. You've always been a good sounding board, so <laughs> over <Great>. the years. <laughs> good. Hope, hopefully that can yeah. <laughs> continue for a while. All right. Well, Mark is here to have a conversation with me about how men's relationship to the environment, um, particularly as it relates to how they may define their manhood or their sense of masculinity, impacts that relationship with the environment. So yeah. um, I'd like to start, Mark, um, this with a a quote that you sent me um, a little while ago as a way of reflecting on what we're going to talk about. The, the writer Wallace Stegner once said that all of us stand somewhere on a long arc between ecological ignorance and environmental responsibility. Yeah. I wish I could cite exactly where that came from, but I don't know. Um, Wallace Stegner was a novelist and essayist, uh, American novelist and essayist in the 20th century. And um, wrote a lot about our relationship to the natural world. Um, when I read that quote, I started to reflect on what what might that arc look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I've read quite a bit about human development. Um, we always think of uh, people like Erickson's eight stages and you know that kind of thing. So right. I thought, what might a stage model of environmental ecological awareness look like. Okay. Um, and so I started to reflect on that. There's a little bit of work out there on that, but not much. Um, for today's discussion, of course, I want to talk um, with you and, and hear your ideas more about how this relates specifically to men. Right. Um, so, um, and, you know, before I get into that, one of um, say that this is largely theoretical, um, <laughs> empirical only in terms of what I have observed. It's mm-hmm. not been subjected to research or that kind of thing. So right. this is very speculative. <laughs> <laughs> so we can play with it. Yeah, we can play with it. Throw it on the potter's yeah. wheel and see what comes up. Okay, That's what I want to do. Yeah. And um, I definitely want to hear your thoughts about it, where mm-hmm. you think I might be onto something and um, where I'm maybe misguided. So, okay. <laughs> um, you want me to jump into yeah, it? Yeah, just explain it a little bit, just yeah. conceptually, and maybe there's some stages you named or whatever, yeah. and then we'll jump into a th- discussion. I did name some stages, and it was, you know, there were eight stages, and I think that's maybe, it's a bit too linear, a bit too complex, so I'm going to boil it down okay. to three. Um, All right. And the first stage I am going to call estrangement. Um, which involves really a lack of awareness of our relationship to the natural world, um, lack of awareness of the environment. Um, Some examples of that might be, we often don't know where our food comes from. We don't know um, who has produced it under what conditions. We don't know how far it has been transported. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. Um, We often live our daily lives in temperature-controlled environments that, you know... um, 
that we control and, right. and that are not um, subject to seasonal changes. Um, we pretty much live our lives in a 72-degree environment because we've controlled it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we transport ourselves in vehicles that are temperature-controlled um, and that kind of thing. So we much of our existence is in a state of complete um, ignorance or indifference to the natural world. Okay. Um, so the first... Um, first stage um, is that indifference or that um, estrangement is, right. is the word I'm thinking of. Um, and all about caring for a baby is 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 also making sure that baby is comfortable in that 72. And, certainly. And even when we were nomads and wanderers or gatherers, it was probably more challenging to keep babies warm and stuff, but I'm sure that they had a even a greater somatic sense of what the environment they were living in and the wind and the sound of trees and, and things exactly. like that that they grew up with, yeah. Yeah, and all of those were signals that they needed to listen to in yeah. terms of um, you know regulating their own safety and their own security. Right. Um, I'm actually, I'm grateful for air conditioning. There are times <laughs> when I, I definitely want it. So right. um, this is not, you know, this is not a criticism of, of the comforts of modern life by any means. Um, you know, for me, this, this awareness of where my food came from came, you know, only about 20 years ago. Um, I remember hearing discussions about the importance of eating locally, Right. Um, I thought, why is that important? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And then I began to understand that it's all about the um, the means of transport. You know, what does it require to transport food a long distance? Right. And how much fossil fuel is used for that and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's the, the estrangement um, stage or the estrangement um, perspective or um, realm. Uh, I'm not sure I want to call them stages because I think we all embody these at different times. Right. Um, the next stage I'm going to talk about, oh, by the way, part of estrangement is something that I call nature phobia. Actually, I don't call it nature phobia. I came across that term um, in an article somewhere. Um, and there, there's so much nature phobia out there. We're, we're, we're afraid of nature in many ways, and right. I could cite some examples of that. Um, so beyond estrangement, then, is something that I'm calling derangement. Um, mm which is our um, use of the environment in a way that is um, exploitive and ultimately self-destructive. Um, this is where we might, you know, reflect more on the, the gender nature of this, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, how it relates to traditional masculinity. Um, and the derangement, you know, has to do with things like, you know, clear cutting and, you know, the, the use, the, the use and abuse of natural resources without any sense of what the end game is. And, you know, the fact that we're kind of destroying ourselves when we do this. Um, and then um, beyond derangement uh, is something I'm going to call engagement. Mm. So we go from estrangement to derangement to engagement. Um, and there are various forms of engagement. Some of them involve um, activities in the natural world, even including um, hunting and fishing and hiking and mountaineering and exploring. I've been reading lots of um, works about 
Arctic and Antarctic exploration lately. Right. <laughs> and I'm a I'm a big um, Shackleton geek, oh, yeah. um, which is interesting because they just recently found his ship at the bottom of the sea. Really? Um, yeah, this was in the news just a day or two ago. Um, so these stories of engaging with the natural world in a way that that um, challenges people um, a way that. Um, pushes people to their limits, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, it, but there's, a, there's a regarding of the natural word, world there as something that is to be controlled and conquered um, and dominated um, in, a, in a better way than exploiting it, but yet right. there's a kind of a domination model there. Um, would so. you say that there's something, I mean, there's always the shadow side of something of goodness, right? And, yeah. and it's kind of like, the explorers of, of, of yore, I mean, one of the bike rides we took um, was on the Katy Trail, Missouri, and and we first stayed at, I think it was St. Charles, uh, yeah. old city. Yeah, beautiful and, city. Actually. Yeah, we, and we walked around and read all kinds of plaques on Lewis and Clark, and yeah. we're like, man, these guys were badasses. You know? <laughs> they were. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. there's, a, there's a way in which that, again, that masculine energy is beautiful and wonderful, you know, the courage to explore this, you know, untamed land and climbing over mountains and all their gear and people and... And here we are with our modern bikes and gears, and you know, thinking we're really roughing it with, <laughs> yeah. you know, with our little pinniers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we were a little humbled by that. Uh, yes, we were. <laughs> but we we thought, wow, what a great celebration of masculine energy. But you're also saying there's tension here yeah. because there's this dark side about once men can, you know. Um, claim a land or whatever or possess it or control it, then they can take it too far. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. And, and I wanna as I talk about this, I wanna honor Ernest Shackleton and, and his um his ilk. <laughs> um that story, if you're not familiar with it, is a story of incredible endurance and leadership. Um he actually orchestrated the survival of, I think it was 22 men. Um, maybe some of your listeners might have the exact number, but mm-hmm. they all survived an incredible ordeal in the Antarctic wilderness. So it's, a, it's an inspiring story. Yeah. And that's the bright side. You know, that's, it's, um, it's not all dark. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. Um, so with the, key, the, the thing that I wanted to get your sense of it you know we're we're really in an age where we're you know you say in the local food movement um you know being able to recycle being able to look at cleaner energy there's this notion of caring yes for mother nature or for the environment rather than just conquering exploiting and consuming so what i'm curious about is how do we get or how men might resist caring because caring is associated with the feminine yeah. energy or feminine energy. To care is, you know, it's like, why should I care? You know, I can live off the land and exploit it and live by myself. And there's not an idea of nurturing or caring for the land, perhaps. Yeah. Well, and that takes me into the third stage, which, um, or the third realm, I guess, mm-hmm. which I would call engagement. Um, and there we think of the ethic of stewardship, which is the caring. Um, 
And, you know, this comes, part of it comes out of um, religious traditions, particularly the the biblical story of the garden, which can be read in a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, traditionally it's been read as dominion, which really is about using, exploiting, controlling, um, that kind of thing. But what if it were more about caring, um, cultivating, um, nurturing? Mm -hmm. Um, And what if we moved more toward a stewardship ethic and here's where I think um, it becomes relevant in terms of men's issues, because that oftentimes is foreign to how we've been raised and how we've been taught to think about ourselves. Um, right. It's more about domination, control, um, use, um, productive use of something, um, rather than nurturing. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's actually even the the ultimate stage, which is something that I would refer to as reverence. I think even if there's a stewardship ethic, it's still about us being in control and maybe even separate from nature. Um, Mm -hmm. If we move toward reverence, I think we begin to see that we are not apart from nature, but that we we are part of nature. And I think that's something we really need to recognize. So, so, so that from that developmental stage that you talk about, and and I think psychology has you know like Kohlberg's moral development, Fowler's right. stages of faith and stuff. So I yeah. hear you talking about um, kind of a, an integration. It's like once we discover something as humans, we want to um, capture it, possess it, um, but there's this movement eventually into kind of integrating it and not and seeing as seeing it as having a relationship with something rather than something we are conquering and overpowering or possessing. Yes. Yeah, and also something that we are um interdependent with. Um and so here's where the the men's issues come in, I think, is that we think of ourselves um, not as dependent. In fact, for men, dependence is a it's a negative. Right. Uh, we're taught not to be dependent. But what if we regarded ourselves as interdependent? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really the the move that we we need to we need to make. Right. So, yeah. I think of you know you're familiar with Paul Kibble's kind of idea this man in the box and kind of what does it mean to be a real man? And I don't, just, but I want to hear about it. Well, it's just, <laughs> there's just again, there's some. Everything in it has a place and a context and, a, and an application. It's not anything in it is not inherently bad. So a real man wants to be in control, wants to dominate, uh, wants to be independent, um, doesn't want to um, have emotions per se. If they are, they're going to be angry and, and fight something and conquer something and win. Um, yeah. And so I, I do think that you know, we want to control the weeds in our yard and things like that. We want to be able to control, you know, our money and make sure that we have enough. And so there's reasons for control. But I think when, you, when you're stuck in that box, um, then it makes it hard to maybe move into seeing the value of engagement. Yes. And, and so that's why I think talking today from a gendered perspective about what might get in the way for some men in seeing that... It, Caring and nurturing the environment is is part of being human and getting them to evolve and change their definition of masculinity is probably part of that. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a, what you allude to is there's a dialectic there. There's a okay. both and. Yes. Um, and I think we need to recognize the, you know, the positive contributions of traditional masculinity, which have been, 
um, protection of the family and the community. I'm talking traditionally now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, providing, um, producing, um, those kinds of things. Those are all positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that's the only side of the dialectic, then then we run into into the problems that have been associated with this kind of traditional one-sided masculinity. Right. right. Yeah. So. I was, remember reading the book Sapiens. I think you read it. Yes, too, I did. They, yeah. They, they talk about the uh, agricultural revolution. Um, you know, and we forget that it. We always look at farming as kind of a charming kind of you know it's like go back to the old days of just be living on farms, but you know that was revolutionary. You didn't yeah. have people like mass producing food um, to, uh, and that is wonderful, but again has a dark side because we began to see that we could not only mass produce food for people in our village, but we could now begin to ship it all over the world, right? Right. Well, and it also required a certain amount of control of the elements in order to produce the food. Mm -hmm. Um, And you contrast that with the hunter-gatherer culture where, you know, the the tribe was on the move. Um, They took what was available and didn't really manipulate and cultivate it. Um, right. And they lived off the land without having to control the land. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm grateful for agriculture, by the way. For sure. <laughs> for sure. And yeah. one of my heroes actually is an is a you know an agriculture guy, which is Wendell Berry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He talks about the agrarian life, writes about the agrarian right. life. So yeah. Yeah, I remember reading too that that's that that there was a spike in violence at that time too because that's when we became territorial because we yes. had to not only claim land, we had to protect land from people coming in and stealing our food and and there wasn't any, you know, laws or, you know, about no trespassing and or whatnot. So right. there was, you know, people, you know, having to protect and and use violence and and such and so there's again everything is pretty complex. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the things that I took away from that book, the main thing that I took away was the idea that we evolved into the species that we are now mm-hmm. um, because of our ruthlessness. Now think about that. The reason we survived is because we basically beat out the other um, sapiens type um, species that were around simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won out because of our ruthlessness. Uh, that's that's quite a quite a heritage, quite a legacy, <laughs> right? Right. And what does that mean for who we are now? You know. Right. Well, yeah, and I think that that you know, in terms of just the on the macro level, in terms of our own development as a species, is I think that we are at a critical stage. Of you know they talk about the future as female and and different things like that and people think that means that women are going to run the earth because men used to run it that's not what that means yeah. they're talking about I think feminine energy being kind of more prized and necessary based yeah. on our development and where we're at and so yeah there was a time for masculine energy the Lewis and Clark's to go out and find land and tame it and all that but. Now it seems like we're at a stage where that feminine energy is really required in order for us to survive. Yes, as a corrective. And to be a sustainable species. Yes. You know, (laughs) just this morning on the way in on the way into this conversation, I heard a song on the radio by Keb Moe. It was just this morning, just you know, an hour ago, called Put a Woman in Charge. Um, beautiful song. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's exactly right. And yet, and yet. I don't know that that's the whole answer. I right. think, how about putting 
a man, men in charge with women, mm-hmm. men who can um, accept the feminine energy, the feminine leadership, mm-hmm. and work together. Yeah. Um, so that that's maybe a verse of the song that needed to be written. <laughs> right. Yeah. People get stuck in you know that gender binary, and yeah. you're talking about a stages of development, and I think that. Once you evolve and get a, get into higher stages, it's it's recognizing the strength and the beauty in both of those energies. And then there's a dark side or a shadow side to both of them. But you're needing to integrate and then respond to the context of wh- what you're in and what energy is needed in yes. that moment. Yes, and have the flexibility as humans, as individuals, to know what what is needed in that context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as we as we think about this, I'm curious on a more personal level. Um, how does how does this hit you personally? Do you have anything that this this evokes for you in terms of memories or thoughts, or you know, um, I, maybe I'm putting you kind of on the yeah. spot here? <laughs> no, I think that I think that I was I found the environmental movement you know, to be initially an inconvenience. I thought it was just like, why? I mean, remember when we first had to recycle and we had to like store stuff in in bags in our houses or whatever. We, you know, in our first house, we didn't have much space to store. And so then you had stinky things and then you had to (laughs) stick them in your car and you had to drive over to this recycle place and divide them up and... And like, this is just a pain in the ass. Why can't we just, you know, do what I did as a kid and just throw things? Just throw it, it away. <laughs> or take it out in the back in a burn barrel and yeah. burn it and things that, you know, air spray cans blowing up and, <laughs> you know, and having fun with it, you know? Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, so I took it as being an inconvenience. Um, yeah. Even, you know, just little things like, you know, we shouldn't litter was like, you know, as a teenager, I'm, I know I littered, you know, just threw stuff out the window or something. And so that, again, moving toward a masculinity for me where I was caring about myself and caring about others and and getting connected to the importance of empathy helped me move into caring also for the movement and being yeah. more cognizant of that and being more accepting of that. And I think at first I just wasn't. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned empathy. Um, I think that's a big part of this. And I, this actually evokes a memory that I have from when I was about maybe 10, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a guest at someone's cottage, um, friends of my parents, yeah, and they had a kid who was slightly older than I, um, who I was not friends with, but who I was kind of forced to hang out with because we were guests. Right. And so we we wandered um, to the creek. Oh, by the way, you know this area. This is Stony Lake, Stony Creek. Oh, sure. Uh, Stony yeah. Creek, which connects yep. Stony Lake and Lake Michigan. Fish salmon there. Okay, so you know it well. You grew up near there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we found a turtle on the creek. And this kid started beating the turtle with a stick. Mm. Um, and I was I was horrified, but I was also immobilized. I had no idea what to do with it. I had mm-hmm. no idea how to respond. I had no idea um, you know, how to stop it. Mm-hmm. I felt powerless. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, at that point in my life, I was beginning to develop an empathy for, for creatures. Um, for some reason, 
but he did not, and who knows what you know what his experience was that led him to that. Right. Um, but I think empathy for living things, empathy for the earth, is part of this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like we talk about the environment, but we could also talk about empathy for you know coexisting with animals, and then you know we could get into a whole discussion about you know what we eat and. Yeah. What we should be eating <laughs> and all that. Um, um, obviously, I grew up in a hunting and fishing community and continue to do that um, and try to have reverence for um, kind of harvesting my own food rather than going to, going to Meyer and do it because I'm not, you know, a vegetarian. So I do find some some masculine energy in being able to harvest my own food and hunt for it and look for yeah. it, um, gather it myself. That's the whole bright side of the <laughs> of the provision for the family. Yeah, um, and there's yeah. there's an ethic of um, hunting that mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware yeah, of. Yeah, for sure. Know? And so you're you're well versed in that. Yeah, that, that's part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, if you read a, a writer like um, Derek Jensen, have you ever heard of Derek no. Jensen? Um, he's a an environmentalist writer who has been kind of silent lately. I wonder what he's doing, but um, he talks about raising chickens. And slaughtering chickens for food mm-hmm. and doing it with a sort of an empathy and reverence for the chickens. Now, mm. I'm sure um, <laughs> that vegetarians out there are kind of scratching their heads, including my wife, who tends toward vegetarianism. Right. Um, but you know, there's a there's a yin and a yang here. Right. Um, so a, a dialectic, I guess you right. would say. <laughs> kind of the the classic uh, um, when Sarah Palin the first. Turkey was killed or something. The turkey was in the background, just kind of wobbling around while she's doing her speech. <laughs> Fortun- fortunately, I've forgotten that one. YouTube, YouTube that one. That's a classic. Uh, but yeah, I think that um, you know, I had my time of growing up in rural America, and you know, and you know, torturing rosebugs with a magnifying glass. You know, sure. you know those things, and then being around and giggling and laughing about it, and you know, then as as I became more connected to what that was you know I was not able to participate in that as much as I I was conflicted yeah and it was part of the masculine training that we we exploit things we conquer things we can kill things um, but then it became more of like okay I can maybe kill a rabbit or a deer you know through a hunting process but I don't want to just kill gratuitously just yeah. for the sake of experiencing my power and control over something. Yeah, I think that speaks to your your journey in that, your development over time. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I have a, a prose poem here that I want to, if we have time, I'd yeah, like to share. Yeah, let's do that, and as a way of wrapping up and kind of final reflections, that's a, that's a great idea, yeah. Mark. Now this, and I'm only going to read part of it because, okay. it's, because it's rather long, but this is something I actually shared um, with a group. You were present at the time. This is nearly 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember it or not. Okay. And it's written by a guy named Kerry Tennis, who's an essayist and poet, and he talks about the destruction of a wetlands um, on Anna Maria Island in Florida. And he talks about how it destroyed, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, the the, the roseate spoonbill, um, which is a bird, mm. f- beautiful, funny-looking bird that looks like a cross between a flamingo and a dodo bird, I guess is the okay. only way I can say it. Okay. Um, 
And he talks about taking a ride out to the wetlands. And you're reading the Sun magazine, Yes, too. I am. It's from the Sun magazine. Oh, yeah. I like that magazine. Yeah. It's from, from the September 20, 2012 issue. So okay. this is almost 10 years ago. Okay. I shared it, and you actually pushed me, not pushed, you encouraged me to go a little deeper in my reflection about it. Okay. Because what I commented on was, this was a, a poem about the destruction of the earth. And the thing that I resonated with was that the earth was being destroyed. I think you wanted me to go a little deeper with it. And I, I, I wasn't able at the time. I don't know if you remember this. Where were we? We were at uh, Jeff and Maria's house having dinner at their, at their, okay. their table. Okay. Um, and um, so he's talking, that he's referring to himself as the boy. Okay. okay. The boy was a natural pantheist, ecstatic among trees and in creeks, a little, a little poet exploding with a pre-intellectual consciousness of oneness. But he had also seen the unbridled power of men to wreck whatever they, to wreck whatever they cared to wreck, to take whatever they cared to take, to dig and plow and rake and blow up and haul away whatever they chose. The power to tear into the turkey leg, to tie the dog to the truck bed, to chop the chicken's head off, mm. to string fish on the line, to kill the deer and trap it and strap it to the hood. Okay, so he's talking about that traditional mm -hmm. masculine energy, which mm -hmm. you and I have talked about. There's there's not only a dark side to that. There's a there's a a legitimate side to right, that as right. well. But this is him as a little boy observing this, right. um, and he's talking about how the next spring he goes, and the the roseate spoonbill birds are gone. They're gone, right. and he misses them. And then he goes on to say, "This was no rape of the body." This was no physical violation. He's talking about his own body. But the boy's body was so undifferentiated from the body of the earth that it was a violation nonetheless. He should have been stronger. He should not have been so poorly differentiated. It was the poet in him, the capacity to merge with a larger whole, to disappear into his experience of nature. He should have been better able to handle it, but he wasn't. Mm. So just on a personal note, I think as I reread this 10 years later, I'm aware of my feeling of being, um, of being, I mean, my fear of being dominated by the masculinity that he's talking about mm -hmm. right here, because I've mm -hmm. never fully identified with that. Right. And so for me, it evoked that, that is that, feeling of difference from that form of masculinity. Right. Um, so that's that's what yeah. it brought up in me. So. Yeah, I, I like how he felt like he was one, I mean, with nature, and then he didn't feel like, then he was almost questioning or having shame that he wasn't enough differentiated from it. Exactly, um, yeah. And, could, and he was feeling it too much. Yeah. Um, and that's what it takes to, you know, to be cut off completely from empathy gives you this, you know, untethered ability to just conquer and oppress and possess and kill. Um, but I think it, there's, again, something in there of the integration and true differentiation is being a part of and apart from. Yeah. And so the early stages of approaching environment was about being apart from 
That's and the estrangement. It, yeah, yeah. And now we're looking at um, being a part of. And that's the engagement. That's yeah. the engagement. <laughs> and then how do we do both? How do we integrate that and continue to live in this constant engagement with recognizing the feminine and the masculine and the yin and the yang? That's our challenge. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a big challenge. <laughs> yeah. We got it all figured out though, right? We're totally balanced. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is you and I and everybody else are so embedded in systems that oh. kind of go against this that yeah. I I actually despair at times. Sure. Um, much of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't mean to end on a sad note. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, thanks for coming today and talking about this with me, Mark. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And again, I want to honor the work you've been doing and will continue to do. I hope you have many more years. Yeah, okay, so do I. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. And many more rides with with me and the boys. We will do that. (laughs) Yeah. All right, right. thank you. See you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Revealing Men. If you're looking for more information about counseling, coaching, and consultative services, please visit the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan online at menscenter.org. Also, feel free to contact us on our website if you have questions about this segment, ideas for a topic, or would like to be a guest on the Revealing Men podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a rating so others can find us. Be well and have a great day.